Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what will be the focus of today's speech from the throne? Our number one priority is the health and safety of Canadians. And so as we look to restart the economy, we're going to be very focused on making sure that we're doing it in a safe way. Will the opposition support the government's agenda? I want to be clear. I want to put the proposition in the positive. We put forward our two demands. And if the government puts forward legislation, makes it clear they're going to do these two things, extend, serve, and put in place paid sick leave for all Canadians so that no one has to make the impossible choice, we will support that. And the Supreme Court continues to hear arguments on the constitutionality of the federal carbon tax. The Supreme Court case is one small step in a vastly larger question, and that is what, are, what is the future of the Canadian uh, oil patch and the petroleum industry. It's Wednesday, September 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks for calling, Mark. What do you think about today's speech from the throne? And I assume it will be like no other in the sense that rather than setting some vision for the next few years, it will have to, I expect, be much more practical in tone because of the coronavirus situation. Well, when you have a whole country um, basically uh, tied up by one public issue, and in this case, the pandemic, um, you know, you're, the throne speech or any other major function of government has to keep that in mind. It has to be regulated by that. I mean, any government, if you look like Trump, put it that way, if you did anything else, you would look like you were ignoring it or playing it down or... or uh, de-emphasizing the uh, critical importance of this issue to the health of the country in every way. So, yeah, they do have to be uh, practical. But, you know, the liberals are all into the vision thing. They, they love to go on about their wonderful vision on everything. So they're going to have a few visions in there, one expects. And uh, uh, But, again, uh, I think what Canadians want to hear is uh, practical steps to get out of this situation and get on with the rest of our lives. What might some of those practical steps be, Dan? Uh, that's, I think that's the, the challenging aspect of this, is everybody is, is itching to get back to normal, but whenever a step is taken in that direction, as we've seen here in Ontario, uh, the, the rate of infection goes up and you have to clamp down again. Yeah, and, you know, this is almost beyond the uh, sort of or ordinary uh, powers of government, if you will, in a democratic state and open society of the kind we enjoy. Uh, but at the same time, there are, you know, pretty severe restrictions. And, and you know, here in Atlantic Canada, uh, we're it's the safest place in the country. But I will tell you that people here are really good about uh, maintaining social distance, the masking and all that. I, I've seen very few um, occurrences of anybody defying that uh, regime that maybe just that's the way we are down east uh, but we're not impervious to the effects of the world and we're seeing even though Canada is still relatively safe compared to the rest of the world um, that the problems are there and and I mean the other thing of course Mark is is how to go about rebuilding the economy that has been uh, fired off the rails by this whole pandemic and to get it back on track in a way that's manageable. And that's a, an absolutely Herculean task 
uh, for any government, and it's really going to be the test of the Trudeau government uh, to see whether it has the uh, wherewithal to uh, to lead the country out of the hole that it's in right now. Now, what about aspirational items? Uh, there has been talk leading up to this speech from the throne about things like electric vehicles, about a guaranteed basic income, about other kind of big picture visionary type things, which, as you say, have been the hallmark of this government. I think they have uh, had a passion for some of these ideas, and they've also felt that, it, that 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 plays well politically for them, that there are enough Canadians who support these broad visionary themes that that it works in their favor. Is there room for that in today's speech from the throne? Well, I think they have to temper all of it with reality. I mean, uh, you know, they can maintain these long-term, if you will, intermediate to long-term visionary items, um, but I don't think it's going to be really practical at this point uh, to bring in a basic national income. I mean, there's no reason why they can't send off their economists to study it to the point where when the fiscal capacity returns, it's it's doable. But at this point, it's it's tough. But what the government can't do is just walk away from, uh, you know, commitments on climate and things like that, because, you, you know, we're, you can't waste any more time on climate change. You have to keep going. And uh, this is not going to be politically very palatable, and it won't be popular in certain parts of the country. But at the same time, you, you can't uh, spend so many years saying, look, this is a global catastrophe that we're working to avoid, and and suddenly say, well, we're not doing it anymore because we have this other catastrophe. You know, governments can walk and chew gum at the same time, and uh, they have to manage their resources well enough so that these long-term priorities can stay on the table and not get uh, entirely de- derailed. What are the political implications of this speech from the throne? What what are you reading in terms of what the opposition is saying and whether they'll support this speech and, and move on from there or whether we are, uh, as seems more and more unlikely now, headed to a fall election? Well, you know, this is the thing with minority governments too, isn't it, Mark? I mean, uh, they're constantly, you know, wearing this high-wire act. I mean, I, I've trained myself over the years to believe about 10% of it. So I just can't see, for instance, Jagmeet Singh trying to bring down the government now when they're at, you know, 18 or 19%. The NDP is at 18 or 19% in the polls. And the Liberals and Conservatives, according to the latest poll I saw this morning, are statistically tied. So there's no advantage for either side there. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is confined in the, in the basement of Stornoway with, with COVID. So... You know, we're in no shape in this country for an election right now. Uh, and the, the opposition parties, I think, would do well not making fools of themselves, pretending they're going to trigger one. And the government would do the country a favor and win its, its lagging support back to some degree by demonstrating leadership and, and not too much partisanship and just trying to find ways to work with the other parties to move things ahead. Canadians care way more about the pandemic than they do about politics right now. And every party would be smart to remember that. We have a bit of a political doubleheader today, Dan. Uh, In addition to the speech from the throne, the prime minister is going to take the unusual step of addressing the nation tonight about the coronavirus crisis. What do you expect from that speech? Well, you know, again, maybe this is the opportunity for for Trudeau to... uh, to, to 
emphasize that the liberal vision, if you will, and I'm uh, you know I'm just saying that term because I can't think of a better one this early in the morning. But say the liberal vision or the liberal uh, path forward. Uh, you know, this is a good opportunity to do that. But as far as I'm concerned, this is Trudeau immediately doing what I just said he shouldn't do, which is try to grab partisan advantage from the situation and and go on national television to say stuff that I think is going to sound pretty similar to what he's been saying a, a lot on TV almost every day and, uh, you know, for a long time. Uh, I don't think that they woke up uh, in Ottawa in the federal apparatus over the last few weeks sometime and found some new visionary way forward. This pandemic is a long, hard, sad, and exhausting slog. And that is where the government has to be realistic and try not to, to sound uh, Pollyanna-ish by, by claiming they're going to work their way out of it. This, this is a long-term hassle and, and drag on everyone's lives including them. So if, if, if the prime minister is not going to blow this speech tonight, he better be as nonpartisan as possible, as practical as possible, and optimistic, but without being silly about it, if you know what I mean. All right. Let's turn to the Supreme Court, which is hearing arguments against the federal government's carbon tax right now uh, from several provinces. How do you expect this to play out? Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm no legal expert, uh, but I, I don't expect the federal government to overturn this carbon law. Uh, I mean, this is, I don't know, from, from what I've been reading, it, it sounds perfectly constitutional, unless you're a constitutional scholar from Alberta. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Mark, the Supreme Court case is one small step in a vastly larger question, and that is, what, are, what is the future of the Canadian uh, oil patch and the petroleum industry uh, when the whole world, uh, just about, is uh, transforming to a lower carbon future? Is high carbon industry still going to survive in the way it has? And that's what we're really all talking about. Um, you know, the, the the case in the court right now is over the powers of the provinces versus the federal government, who has the power to do what and whose jurisdiction. And as we've seen, a hundred cases like that since the Constitution in 82. But, it, but the larger question, uh, the national question on the table, if you will, is, is there a future for the oil patch and, and heavy oil and, and oil sands in Canada? And I think that question is being decided not in the Supreme Court, but in the global markets and in markets around the, uh, around North America. So, you know, the, the court can make a decision, and if Ottawa has to go back and redraft its law, that's what it'll do. But Ottawa has the power to uh, regulate a lot of things in this country, including damage to the environment. And the provinces in Ottawa, to do things right, are going to have to someday come up with a plan together. I mean, I know it sounds impossible, but, uh, you know, bigger bigger walls have been built in the past, and uh, this, this could be done again if there's the goodwill to do it. But uh, right now, I think we're still in the stage of trying to understand what the problem really is. Uh, meanwhile, that decision is being made for us far away from the court or, or even from mm. Canada. All right, Dan, great to have your insights on all of this. It's going to be a very interesting day. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks for the call, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster.
Our number one priority is the health and safety of Canadians. And so as we look to restart the economy, we're going to be very focused on making sure that we're doing it in a safe way. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Daryl Bricker argues, Canadians want the throne speech to focus on current problems, not big picture ideas. Bricker writes, a speech from the throne is the opportunity for a government to lay out its plans and priorities. But ambitious plans about the future are a poor match with the current public mood. It's not that Canadians are opposed to living in a better, more equitable and greener country. It's that they have a much more immediate set of priorities. And that's where they want their government to focus. In the Globe and Mail, Colin Robertson calls on Parliament to bring back the Canada-China Special Committee. Robertson writes, MPs are focused on COVID recovery, but they also need to pay attention to our relationship with China. We need continuing oversight of this vital, complex, and challenging relationship. Our current policy is neither comprehensive nor engaged, and a special committee would help keep focus on our China relationship and, hopefully, come up with a strategy enjoying broad party support. In the Toronto Star, Marin Smith and Sarah Petrovan ask, What will it take to bring more electric vehicle manufacturing to Canada? They write, The government seems intent on attracting EV manufacturing to Canada, and yet a recent analysis of global automakers found not a single dollar was destined for Canada. It's time we took the wheel. Done right, we can achieve a trifecta of outcomes, cutting pollution, giving Canadians better access to the cars they want, and retooling our auto sector to compete in the 21st century. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've discussed, Governor General Julie Payette will deliver the speech from the throne to formally open the second session of the 43rd Parliament of Canada. Of course, we will have live coverage on CPAC and at cpac.ca. Ahead of that, Deputy Conservative Leader Candace Bergen and Green Party Parliamentary Leader Elizabeth May will both hold news conferences to outline their party's expectations from the speech. And that is CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, September 23rd. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca for coverage of the speech from the throne throughout the day today and for primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.